Is it on? Well, I think so. It looks good. The lights on. Oh, those little lights are bouncing around all full of themselves, aren't they? Well, uh, is it recording? It should be. We did what Mrs. Oak said to do, didn't we? Okay, well, um, okay. Whoever might be listening, hello, it's us little Grivels, and we're here to give you a message. Well, explain what happened. Mrs. Oak was a fair bit specific about this, wasn't she? Well, Mrs. Oak ain't here, is she? You wouldn't have your chest all puffed up like a spring sparrow if she was, would you? We know you came for Mr. Oak's story, and I'd wager a good many of you might be wondering where he's been the last few weeks and where he went off to, aren't you? Well, we know we were. A right bit disappointed, too, not to find that podcast normally where it'd been left. Been some time gone by. But Mrs. Oak got a message, didn't she? From Mr. Oak for you. And us. Right, and us. Well, we ain't heard this yet, either. You didn't listen to it. No, Mrs. Oak said to just get right into the studio and get to the listeners, didn't she? She did. She did. So play it then. Right. How? Well, slide the thing and press the thing on the screen. Slide what thing? Ain't nothing to slide. On the screen, that bit there. This. Is it back on then? Right, well, uh, this is the message that Mr. Oak left anyway. Let me just, okay, now... Now this button here says, uh, okay, let me give it a shot. Hello everyone, I hope this message finds you all well. I know you were expecting another of my recallings the other week, and I apologize for its absence, but it could not be helped. As you know, I travel relentlessly, and the last two weeks have been no exception. As I record this, I find myself on a boat somewhere in the Pacific Ocean, I think. At least that's where I'm supposed to be. I paid for passage on a fishing vessel that left port from Southern California for what was supposed to be a two-day trip to an island with no name found on no map, inhabited by creatures found in no book. In short, I was headed to nowhere. Captain Tomes agreed to take me to the coordinates that I'd given him for the sum that I'd offered him, but didn't actually believe we'd find a single grain of sand. He says where we're going is water from top to bottom, and I told him I'd pay him either way, him and his crew of five men. The waters were calm when we left. Dawn was at our backs, and we were chasing the last bit of night over a mirror to a horizon that evaded us as the hours passed. I made my quarters under the stairs and beside the engine room, which is where I am now as I record this. All was going to plan until we crossed the 135th Meridian West. No sooner had the stern of the ship sailed across this invisible division than strange things began to happen. The navigation equipment, as modern as was made, began showing errors. Our position in the ocean, as promised by the watchful gaze of the satellites above us, began to betray logic. At once we were a hundred miles ahead of where we should have been, and both north and south of what was possible. The radar that Captain Tones used so often and relied on to find what was in the depths below the ship had found things that shouldn't have been, couldn't have been, but they were right there, and they were gigantic. I asked if he thought they might be squid. I believe I even jokingly referred to them as the Kraken, to which he found no humor. This was a man who spent his life navigating distant waters, and now he looked sick and pale, like the first time he'd ever been at sea. 
He said he didn't know what the things might be, that the equipment must be glitching, the sensors must be fogged or broken. What do you really think it is, Mr. Oak? He asked this as he leaned into the screen that showed the oddities below us. Monsters, I said. What else do you think is out this far? Now, sailors, historically and generally speaking, are superstitious. They perform rituals for luck, carry objects on board for safe passage, refuse to sail under seemingly perfect conditions because of imperfect circumstances. So when I mentioned monsters with no humor, it was not something easily brushed off. I explained that the monsters of the seas, the ones ancient seafarers wrote about and warned about, even placed on the maps that they made to show routes to be avoided, were very real, even now and we had just made our way into the heart of their territory. He cursed me, accused me of knowingly leading them here to their deaths, which I had not, and threatened to turn the ship back. But when he looked at his equipment and compared it to the horizon, he had no idea which way to turn the rudders. I explained what happens next is going to test him, all of us, but we'll have to stay focused and remind ourselves of what is real, and expect what is real are the things in our own minds are trying to convince us are otherwise. After a moment, the shell of rage that encapsulated his fear melted away and he turned to me with red eyes and a long face. He asked what he should tell the crew. I looked out at the mounting storm clouds choking the sunlight above them and the churning seas that were below them and told them to gather the crew on the deck and bring a flare gun and I'll show them myself. Not long after, I found myself standing on the bow of the ship under the scrutiny of ten eyes with the captain standing beside me. Before I could open my mouth to explain what was to happen next or to offer an apology, one of the men asked why I was on board at all. This was something I expected. There are many who think I pack death in my bags when I travel, or at least inform it where I'm headed so it can follow close behind. It's something I've wondered about myself, as I can't strongly deny it when I'm accused. I can only tell him what he already knows, that I'm simply paying for passage, but this does little to calm his nerves, and while not satisfied he is quieted so I continue to tell them that we find ourselves, as a group, in the middle of something we may very well not see our way out of. It is honest and well received without as much as a grumble. Considering my audience, men who venture to the edge of death each time they leave port, I was not telling them something they didn't know but what I said next steeled the spine of the most seasoned among them. I told them that we were surrounded by monsters who could smell the blood inside of us and had come from the depths for just a chance of a drop of it. We were, after all, a rare delicacy in this part of the world. I told them that I would prove it before they even asked for proof and then took the flare gun from the shaking hand of one of the crewmen and walked to the port side of the ship. As we approach, one of the men stops and begins to back away. The rest of us look at him, his wide eyes darting in all directions of the surrounding sea. He points out into the endless water and also points out a detail that we've missed. We were no longer moving. The ship was still in the churning waters as if anchored, but we were not being held by the heavy iron casting but slippery, fleshy tentacles. At least, I assume they were tentacles. It was hard to say without knowing what creature had come to call. To find out, I walked to the railing, motioned for the others to join me, point the flare gun into the dark waters and fire. With a pop and a hiss, a light exploded from the pistol and then disappeared into the depths. However, as it went, the waters came alive with the passing burst of the orange light and it revealed the massive forms of the monsters that stalked us. 
Each was bigger than the ship by double. Each had arms and tentacles that could tear a bus in two or crush a man into paste. But I knew they wouldn't. Well, at least not right away. That's not their nature. Half the flavor of a meal is the fear that pours from the pores just before the feast begins. But what began to pour from the men were obscenities, and they quickly backed away from the rail before realizing that that only got them closer to the other side, and soon they found themselves bunched together in the center of the deck with only pride keeping them from embracing each other for comfort and safety. Of course, I understand their reaction. It was my reaction the first time I had seen what lurks in the shadows, and one that stays with me each day since. I want to hide from the lot of it and pretend the space behind the closet door is empty of evil, but I know better now, and so do these men. I look back into the waters which have once more turned black below the churning white foam lapping at our ship, and see the reason we've gone static. Wrapped around the boat is a tentacle thicker than a redwood and longer than a soccer pitch. It has spikes like thorns and suckers like tractor tires, and slowly, relentlessly, it's squeezing. So that's where I find myself right now, after days of being held in the ocean by a creature larger than I've ever witnessed crushing the ship that we're sheltering in, and all we can do is wait. The men have gone quiet, practicing for death, mostly solitary and wandering the deck in wait. Thankfully, the food and water have been plentiful. Well, at least for now. Or we might find that the men we've come with have turned into monsters of their own. Under the deck in my makeshift quarters, I hear the boat giving into the pressure. The steel pops and groans occasionally. The wood creaks and buckles without warning. It won't be long. Already I see the waters that were once held at bay are trickling in. The captain, I fear, is no longer with us. Last night we heard a gunshot coming from his quarters and none of us went in to check, and he hasn't come out in the morning. We have no way to deal with the corpse and sending it to the sea, a customary seafarer fate, would only make our situation more dire, if that's possible, by causing a frenzy. Can you hear that? I think it's... something no the tape stops there oh dear so that's it then you heard the tape didn't you same as me mr oak was supposed to be back weeks ago wasn't he so what do we do now i guess the only thing we can do just carry on i'll take over the stories on the podcast it's what he would have wanted isn't it no it isn't i think i'm gonna go tell the other grivels what happened well what should i do just hit the button. This button? Did you enjoy this tale? Who? Me? Who are you talking to? No, the listener. What are you talking to them for? The story's done. They've gone on, haven't they? Well, maybe not. Maybe they'll listen to us little grivels for a bit. Mr. Oak ain't the only one with a story to share. I have things to say. 
What things? Like maybe if they enjoyed themselves, they should subscribe or follow or leave a review. Don't be telling them what to do. I'm not. It's not polite ordering those poor folks to do things, especially since they ain't here for you. They came for Mr. Oak, didn't they? Well, how do you know they ain't come for us? Because they don't even know who we are. All I'm saying is it's good manners to subscribe or follow or leave a review, isn't it? Is this recording? Did you hit the button? Oh, I thought you hit the button. Oh dear, Mr. Oak won't be happy.